Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week two guests together, Emily Johnston and Annette Clapstein. They are among the individuals who have physically stopped pipelines bringing tar sands fossil fuels from Canada into the United States. There is a website about what they've done and what they're doing at shutitdown.today. Go to shutitdown.today. You can read their biographies. Uh, Annette is 64 and a retired attorney. Emily is 50 and a retired writer. And they have had enough with destroying our planet's climate and they're doing something about it. Uh, Emily and Annette, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Uh, great to have you on. I'll, I'll ask questions and you can either one of you answer them, whoever's, uh, whoever you think best. Um, I, I've seen uh, a photo on the website of five of you, three, three men and two women. I take it there were five of you involved in shutting down five pipelines. How did you, how did you pull this off? <laughs> uh, well, uh, it took a lot of uh, careful thought and planning. Uh, and quite a lot of worry, frankly. Um, but, you know, it's something that we all felt very strongly was important uh, and might make a difference uh, in the conversation on climate change. And, and the pipelines were shut down forever or for an hour or for a day? They were, it, it varied in different places. Um, anything from a few hours to, I believe one may have been overnight. I think we heard that Montana was not on until the next day. Uh, and and how did you do it? Uh, they, so it's actually, you know, they have these emergency shutoff valves, uh, which actually is a nice metaphor because we know this is an emergency. Indeed. Uh, and, and, all you, and all you have to do uh, is turn them. And, of course, they are, uh, they are locked up. Um, but they're locked up, or at least they have been until now, with pretty flimsy chains. Um, so, you know, in order, our safety protocol basically was that there was somebody who was uh, not on site, somebody who was in Seattle, who called each of the pipeline companies um, uh, at a given moment when we arrived at the site and said that we were there and were uh, planning to uh, turn off the emergency shutoff valve um, and they should begin their shutdown procedures. Uh, and then... Uh, we broke the locks. Uh, we used bolt cutters to cut the locks into the enclosures um, and cut the locks on the, uh, the on the chains that were actually on the valves. Uh, and then we called again after 10 minutes had passed and, and said, we are about to turn the valves, begin your emergency shutdown procedures. Uh, and so uh, then we started to do that. And, and in our case, uh, they before we could even do that on the first valve, we heard uh, quite a loud noise, which we had been somewhat prepared for, um, and uh, and then we saw the, uh, what looked like a huge screw going down, basically. So it was clear that they had started the manual shutdown, I mean, the uh, remote shutdown, um, and that that was already happening. So we sort of stood aside while that happened and watched it close. Um, the other one we did go to and begin to try and turn, but there was no resistance whatsoever uh, for about five minutes. And so... Uh, we came to the conclusion that we weren't having any impact and that maybe as, the, as part of their uh, procedures, they had, instead of shutting that one down, rerouted the oil because they have many pipelines in that area. And so we simply stopped. And then, oddly, 
it was like another full 10 minutes later, I think, or maybe at least five. Like five to 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. when they finally started uh, the, the remote shutdown procedure on that one. So it was clear, you know, I don't know why the delay on the second one. Um, but anyway, they did, we in the end did not shut the valves. They did it um, instead, but we were planning to. <laughs> so you could have done this with a phone call from Seattle. Well, I'm not sure if they would have done it if there were not people on the site. No, but did they know you were on site or they just took your word for we it? We told them we were. Right. We told them we were. Yeah, we gave them like, the exact coordinates and everything. So, you know, it's conceivable that they would have done that. But, like, you know, uh, you don't cry wolf on something like that uh, because, it's, you know, the, I mean, if, if anybody ever called them after, ever thereafter, then presumably it wouldn't happen, work again. And, and then, you know, you know, who knows what would happen if they didn't go through that process that they're supposed to go through. Uh, uh. Right. And and where were you? You were in Minnesota? We were near Leonard, Minnesota. Yeah. And and there were no guards, no dogs, no cameras, nothing there. Nothing. There might have been a camera. We're not sure about that. We <laughs> didn't see any cameras. It didn't look like it. it they were just two little um, sort of, what do you call that? It's not chicken wires. Just a, bar, I mean, just a, just a fence. You yeah. Know, standard, a a standard sort of chicken wire type of fence yeah. enclosure. With a chain lock, which, you know, it was a flimsy chain that was not hard to cut. But you brought your own cameras uh, because there are beautiful photos at uh, shutitdown.today of you doing this, uh, of you turning right. these valves, yeah. and right? Right. There, yeah. was, there was a videographer with each group um, who had, you know, come out as a journalist to, um, you know, document what was going on. It was, it was really, really important to us to do this openly um, and, and in order to, uh, you know, forward the conversation on climate change and what's possible and what we really, really need to do starting now. Um, and, you know, if it had all just sort of happened uh, without any visuals, without people seeing us, without people, people just sort of hearing one thing or maybe another, it wouldn't have been nearly as powerful, I think, as actually watching us physically cut the chains uh, and shut the valves on these things that really are the instruments of uh, planetary destruction, which sounds rid like ridiculous hyperbole, but it's but not. But it isn't. <laughs> if it reality. weren't true, it why, was... If, yeah, it's why we did it, because the situation now is totally desperate. If we don't turn this around right now, we are already in catastrophic climate change, and if we don't turn it around right now, we can kiss the human species goodbye. Indeed. So it, so it was... An emergency. Uh, the That's exactly uh, our point. Yes. The the it's owners of the pipeline, I imagine. Did you did you have any any substantive response by phone or afterwards or otherwise from the companies that own these pipelines? No, we directly did not. no. Uh, what about the only response we had is that they did shut it down. And what about from the police? They were uh, they came. They, uh, you know, it's a pretty remote area, and it took them almost an hour and a half to get there. Uh, they, you know, I think Enbridge, um, I'm pretty certain there was a helicopter that flew over several times, and I'm pretty certain that was Enbridge and not law enforcement. I think that they were basically making sure we weren't, you know, about to be, you know, destructive in some sort of way or crazy. And, and, and uh, tell and us what so, Enbridge is. Uh, I'm sorry, Enbridge is the pipeline company. Yes, it was their pipelines that we shut down. Yeah, okay. Pipelines. So, the so, Alberta Clipper. So go ahead. Then the police got there an hour and a half later? 
Yeah, yes. and and they clearly, um, you know, another uh, interviewer asked me if they had their guns drawn or anything like that. They did not. They came. They brought three cars, so they brought lots of people, but they did not. Um, there was no like, you know, wild overreaction or anything like that. Right. I think that they, by that point, uh, understood what they were dealing with, um, and we didn't look too threatening. So they came up and they were perfectly polite, and they did, you know, frisk us for make to make certain that that we didn't have any um, weapons or anything on us. But of course, we didn't, uh, and then they took us away. And this was all five of you, including the the three men shown in the in the photos. No, they they were in other states. They were in uh, North Dakota, Montana, and Washington state. Yeah. And and did the police no, did the police treat them as well? I they no. Uh, in North Dakota, they were treated very harshly. Is what we've heard. And they arrested the videographer who was only there to document and had nothing to do with. Yeah, the journalist. The they arrested journalists in both North Dakota and Washington. With and, 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 and one of these videographers has been charged with a felony charge. Is that correct? Yes, yes that's the North Dakota one. Yes. How how do they explain that? I don't know how they explain that. It seems to me that that's a total violation of First Amendment rights and absolute insanity. Yeah, it's complete overreach, and I'm sure it won't stand up. But obviously. It's- Incredibly unsettling for that for the journalists. Yeah, and and this is the same state where Amy Goodman from the program Democracy exactly. Now exactly. is. Yeah, very, very good exactly point. Right. <laughs> that's, that's right now North Dakota. I do not hesitate to say is a police state. Yeah. So good for Minnesota, but uh, people who people who want to try this at home uh, perhaps should avoid <laughs> North Dakota, or perhaps they shouldn't. Perhaps we shouldn't be intimidated by these people. But there are a lot of pipelines with a lot of switches, right? This is something that can there, be. There are indeed. There are. I'm guessing that you know, as we speak this week, a lot of the security around those things is being beefed up. Um, would be my guess. Or at least the chains. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, we wanted this to have, like, a major impact. And in order to have a major impact, it had to be a really bold action in which we took a lot of risk. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, speaking for myself personally, like, I, I am not hoping that, like, tons of people will suddenly start doing this because, well, I mean, in some ways, to be honest, you know, like that would warm my heart simply because I don't want life to be easy for these companies. They are doing the wrong thing. They're being unbelievably destructive. And that the, they need to understand that the population does not support that and will not accept it. So on the one hand, there's that. On the other hand, you know, there are all kinds of risks. And, um, yeah, uh, and, and certain things also get less, you know, conceivably less powerful when repeated over and over or whatever. But anyway, the, the main thing is we were able to do it now. We saw this opportunity. It seemed like something we really had to try uh, in order to, um, you know, I mean, politicians, uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware, but they, there is no uh, discussion whatsoever of any policies that are actually going to keep us below 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming, which is already too much, right? But there, but we know that beyond that, things start to get really catastrophic and they speed up really fast. Yeah. And if we don't stop, uh, you know, shipping, uh, extracting and shipping tar sands in the next two or three years, we have zero hope of doing that. And so we have to be working with uh, the, gov- the government and, and the government needs to be working with these companies to start a really ambitious and rapid shutdown of tar sands production. Uh, you know, um, and as well as coal production, and then we need to start talking about other other forms of fossil fuel. Very, very soon. Yeah. It all has to be phased out and very quickly, or we have absolutely no hope. Yeah. And I hope people do step up and do 
bold actions, especially people in my age group. I'm 64. I think this is our job as older people. We have, you know, a lot less to, to lose than younger people, and it's our our duty to protect our children, our grandchildren, the future generations, and they have no future if we don't step up and do something. So that's why I took the action, because I, you know, I love my grown children. I love all children. I want there to be future generations, and there won't be if we don't put a stop to this right now. Uh, very well said. We're speaking with Annette Clapstein and Emily Johnston. Uh, what what were you charged with? I mean, is it something that just amounts to a fine or something more serious? No, no we, we got felonies, too. Uh, so we have two counts, uh, felony charges, uh, felony property damage, uh, and um, and also aiding and abetting. Yes. You know, uh, we're charged with aiding and abetting each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah nice. Additionally, with gross misdemeanor trespass. Trespass and property destruction and aiding and abetting each other in it. Exactly. Right. And, and what That's are the it. potential penalties for that? They, I... The two felonies are 10 years. Ten, up to 10 years. That's what our charging papers say. And the gross misdemeanor says one year, up to one year. Yeah, by definition, if it's a misdemeanor, I guess. Uh, right. That's uh, so. This is serious risks that you're taking, uh, but it's serious. It, it risk. is, and we knew that going in that that was a possibility. And 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 as you say, not to do it is a is a serious risk. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> is a much bigger. Risk. to me, it's an absolutely a much bigger risk. Um, you know, the the difference between my having a criminal record and even possibly having to do prison time and there being no, you know, no livable human, planet. Civil, no livable planet, no human life on Earth. I that, That's a scale that's really easy to weigh. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I think what the, what the fossil fuel companies really don't understand in terms of our commitment and, uh, you know, around this or these issues and what we're willing to risk um, is that, you know, we do this out of such deep love for the world uh, and also, frankly, in my case, you know, out of fear. And I'm not, a, I, I don't want to go to prison, definitely. I don't want them to, you know, have some restitution suit against me and come after my house. It's the only thing I have. Um, those things would both be, you know, personal small tragedies for me. No question about it. But I am vastly more afraid of climate change and its impacts and what it's doing to the world right now. And 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 uh, even in will, that will you know increase uh, with great speed over the coming years. Uh, and that terrifies me. You know, when mm-hmm. I think about all the extinctions, when I think about the, the hundreds of millions of people who are going to be refugees and dying and food you know food systems failing, that's a really ugly future. And I want to you know maintain some shred of hope in the possibility of a decent future for this planet and for other people. And what do you think, uh, you seem to be of mixed minds as to whether people should go out and and replicate exactly this action, Uh, but what do you think people can best do to help, and and what are the next steps for, uh, if any, for shutitdown.today? We haven't talked about that so much yet. Um, You know, I think we just wanted to get through this one and see how it went. Uh, We certainly, this is by no means over since we're going to have legal legal battles, uh, you know, maybe multiple in each of our cases. Um, 
And then as far as like what we think people need to do, basically everything. People need to be stepping up and doing everything they possibly can. That means pressuring politicians, showing up at hearings, signing petitions. It means direct action, which in somebody's you know, area may mean you know, trying to shut down a pipeline. It may mean sitting in front of an oil train. And you know, anything that people can do safely and nonviolently has to be done now. There's no choice. It means writing. It means speaking. It means people working in their faith communities and talking to each other. Um, you know, it's just, it, it is absolutely a crisis, and uh, the political system is not treating it as such. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, I think we have no hope without direct action, not necessarily on the scale we did, but it, people have to get out and put a stop to this in any way that they can. Um, they're just, there's no choice left. Our, our political system is so completely unresponsive to we the people. It is completely controlled by corporate power, by the fossil fuel companies. Um, that's who they answer to, not to us. Uh, so, you know, I see no other way to get the attention of the companies that are devastating our, you know, precious and only planet, but to take direct actions against them of various kinds. You two are, are both from Seattle, and I just read a, a forthcoming book from a friend of mine in Seattle named Bill Moyer, who has a group called The Backbone Campaign. And, uh, yep, and right. We both know him. You, you do. Have you seen this proposal for what he calls solutionary yes. rail? Indeed. Yes. One of my friends was one of the editors on that book. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it seems to me to me one of, you know, a number of solutions that are indeed out there. All it takes is the political will. Yeah. Yeah, the solutions are absolutely up there. Yeah, so they're, I mean, for people who don't know, the idea is to run electricity from renewable energy out west, the wind and solar energy with such potential uh, along the corridors of rail lines and to electrify the rails in in the process and run electric trains and more of them and decrease the trucking and the and the and the plane flights and and use rail uh, so there are these positive ideas that we could be promoting to replace the, these horrendous yeah. ideas like like tar sands totally yes totally and we need you know we need that because people are going to just feel hopeless and and uh, and that makes them passive if they don't understand that actually we can do this the yeah. technology is there the ideas are there so people have to, you know, we have to, you know, sort of keep forwarding those visionary ideas as well and talking about, like, this is what it could look like. We can do this. Yeah. We just have to start right now. Yeah. It's entire, and it's entirely possible to run, you know, a decent society entirely without fossil fuel. You know, any number of people have come up with plans for how to do that. There are books on it. Um, you know, people. I think the fossil fuel companies have put out such relentless propaganda that they have convinced so many people that we just can't survive without fossil fuels. It's absolutely not true. The reality is we can't survive with fossil fuels. If we continue to use them, we do not survive. I look at, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. government, and it's not just sitting aside it's subsidizing fossil fuels and it's That's subsidizing exactly. highways. Yeah. Uh, and yep. Yep. I, I look at this proposal for, you know, uh, electric rail and they're worried about the horrendous cost because it might actually get into the billions. Uh, whereas the United States is putting about a trillion every year into preparing for more wars. Uh, and, yep. I'm right. wonder, and, I'm, and, and, and subsidizing fossil fuels in the hundreds of billions, I believe. 
certainly in the in the billions. I don't know the exact numbers, yeah. but how do yeah, we... I don't know the exact numbers either, but I know that they're astronomical. Uh, you've got you've got something of a of a microphone beyond uh, just my program uh, from this action you've done. Um, or how, what sort of interest are you finding, and and how are you working to to educate people about? the sort of transformation that we need. Well, you know, we are, we both come from the activist community in Seattle, uh, and we have been doing it long enough that we have a lot of support, uh, you know, actually across the country at this point, including some people, you know, who have, you know, bigger, better mics than, than we have. And so, you know, we have so far been very, very lucky. People have been unbelievably supportive um, and excited about this. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those things people didn't really think it was possible. It didn't really occur to anybody to do it on this scale. Um, and so, you know, there's this moment in time when probably what we have to do next, as much as I hate the idea, is like, go do speaking things, you know, and writing things, which is much less horrible as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because um, she is a writer. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we have to just, we have to make sure that we keep alive the idea of why we did this, what exactly it was that we did, what we think needs to happen next. Um, and get people talking about it, make it clear, you know, and also when we talk about the way in which they, you know, they're absolutely bullying journalists and what that means, you know, what the different possibilities of the different lawsuits means, you know, why the various states are responding in different ways, you know, whether they're in the pocket of the fossil fuel industry, et cetera. And like, you know, every different angle that, that is there for us to talk about, we really need to be talking about to the, to the people who would be most interested in that angle, you know, because what we have to do is to get everybody engaged and everybody you know, thinking about what this means to their lives and how they can help. Indeed. Uh, there there are lawsuits, are there not, that we on this side uh, can file against them. I, I mean, my, nie my niece has sued the state of North Carolina over its failure to protect the the future from, from fossil yes. fuel destruction. Yes, oh. yes. There, there are several children's lawsuits right now and, um, going forward, both on the state and federal levels. Um, trying to get their governments, who supposedly represent, you know, their future, to actually protect their future. And and the folks who are doing those lawsuits, some of them are, are people. In fact, one of the valve turners, uh, the valve turner in um, North Dakota, uh, is you know his kid is one of the kids named in those suits. Yeah. So it's not like you know we think this is the only way that you know everybody's got to do direct action. We definitely understand there has to be everything done on every level, um, and we have tried things on every level. This, yes. is, this is not our only way of doing things by any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. I mean, yes. it's, we've tried everything else first. This is, we are to the point of feeling this is our last resort, and we've got to do everything. I mean, should you know. I have a grandchild in the future say to me, you know, what did you do to prevent this horror from happening? I want to be able to say I did absolutely everything in my power. That's that's what we all need to be able to say, uh, and too many of us are not going to be able to say it. it. If people want to invite you to come on a program or come speak at an event, uh, I imagine they can reach you through shutitdown.today. Um, are, oh, are, yes. Are, are you facing hefty, I, I know you, Annette, are a, a lawyer, but are you facing legal bills? Do you need uh, donations yes, we, from people? And absolutely, and anybody who can um, donate, we would very much appreciate it. Again, go to shut it, shut it down .today, um and there is a link, I believe, to the Legal Defense Fund. 
And I looked just briefly and saw photos, but are there videos there that people may want to, to watch and even screen at there are, events? I think there should be. We, we uh, yeah. you know, we, we were live streamed when we were actually doing the action. Yeah. So I imagine that those live streams were captured and, and are still and, there. And, and some of them are better and worse qualities, but I think some of the videographers are also putting together something a bit more polished, yeah. you know, over the long term um, in terms of the action. Yeah. One of my jobs with RootsAction.org is, is all about online petitions, and I'm, I'm curious whether you're pursuing that particular tactic. Uh, it would be great, I think, for the owners of these corporations and for the governments involved to be hearing a flood of support uh, for what you just did. You know, we weren't there with them, but we support their action uh, and we want this policy changed. I, I think those those emails or those petition signatures with passionate comments, uh, you know, should be should be pouring in right now. Yeah, that's, yeah a, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. Um, well, it, it, do that anywhere or to, you know, promote one of the places where I work. Go go to DIY.RootsAction, for, DIY for do-it-yourself, DIY.RootsAction.org and make a petition and, and we'll help promote it um, or do it anywhere else cool. on the Internet. But, All right. Um, I, I think cool. that's Thank you. one good idea. We, we've got just a few minutes left. Uh, what What should people be thinking about uh, who haven't gotten to the level of really being involved yet? Uh, What do people need to hear most? I think, you know, to me, this is, uh, I had uh, an essay published on Tuesday just that I used as sort of a position paper for this. And the tack I took in that is, is, is what I would have as my response, which is, to just think about, like, you know, when when we're old or when we're dying or whatever, you know, however you want to frame it, what will we what will we wish we had done, um, you know? And and like we can do those things still. We have that possibility. Uh, and so, if you think you know you'll regret not having you know walked to D.C. and you know camped on the White House steps or you know something like that, whatever it is, people need to think about like, oh, at that time I didn't think I could do it, but now looking back, I see I really could have. And, and there's lots of things that fall into that category. There's lots of things that all of us, even Annette and I, could still be doing that we're not, you know. And so, obviously, people need to live their lives, need to work, have families, etc. But there is something everybody can be doing, and they need to be doing it. What, what do you make of all the thousands and thousands of young people in the some 45 states that haven't made uh, voter registration automatic yet, uh, although they've made draft registration automatic, uh, running around registering people to vote because, uh, you know, no matter how horrendous the candidates are, they're never identical to each other. Uh, and and this is sort of thought of as activism and come second week in November, all of this energy is going to be gone and people are going to be burnt out and dust off their hands and say, my work is done. Would some of that energy be better spent on policy positions, including the policy of maintaining a habitable planet in the future? (laughs) Absolutely. I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of what our electoral system does is exactly that, divert energy that needs to be spent in activism on actual issues um, because it's really the electoral politics, especially at the national level, are just a big circus. Um, Yes, I will vote. I've voted all my life, but I don't think it has much actual real impact. And I think it's far more important that people, if, if, you know, if you really want to get involved on, you know, the electoral politics, 
work on your local level, that makes a much bigger difference. But um, I think, you know, the issues um, working on any level to stop climate change is going to be a vastly more important than going out and working on some politician's campaign who has probably already been bought off by the corporations and the fossil fuel companies anyway. And Yeah, and even, you know, with very, very, very few exceptions, even the politicians who are good on climate stuff, need to be pushed really hard. And, yeah. and, and they need to, and actually to, to give them a little bit of cover on that, they need to be seen to be pushed very, very hard because they're not going to be able to do anything, um, you know, as a lone voices in the wilderness unless there's this army of, you know, citizens and people behind them saying, we demand the possibility of a decent future. We demand that you fix this problem and, and that we uh, have aggressive ambitious action right now on climate change it's extremely well said i i I wish we had more time to to go on but the the clock has run out but we've been speaking with annette clapstein and emily johnston and you can read more about what they've done at shutitdown.today uh emily and annette thank you very much for coming on talk nation radio thank you very much david this is talk nation radio i'm david swanson Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.